Welcome back to the podcast. This is Charlotte Creative and Technical Director here at Evidence for Faith. And we are in our Keep the Fires Burning study since it's our Friday study. And today we get to meet Bartimaeus. I believe that's how you pronounce it, Bartimaeus. <laughs> so uh, as always, I need to get in my little ad for some of the exciting stuff we're doing here at Evidence for Faith. So we are going to Israel in January of 2023. Um, at the time of this recording, we don't have enough people signed up. So if you'd like to go on this unique trip, we'll be uh, visiting a bunch of different archaeological sites, cities, different places where biblical history happened. And not only will Michael Lane be teaching, there will also be the wonderful Dr. Stephen Notley, who is an archaeologist and scholar, biblical scholar down there who is actually doing work down there. So he will be uh, teaching on this trip as well. So if you have a whole bunch of questions about the Bible, biblical characters and events, these are really good teachers to ask and get those questions answered. So if you'd like to check it out, I'm going to have links in the description. So you can go uh, visit that on our webpage or you can go to evidenceforfaith.org slash 2023 Israel or click on the events tab. So as always, this program is supported by listeners just like you. If you'd like to help support this broadcast and keep it free, you can become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org slash give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org slash give. And with that, here is Michael in Keep the Fires Burning. Let's meet Bartimaeus. Welcome to Evidence for Faith. This is Michael Lane, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining me today as we continue in our series on minor Bible characters, but major lessons that they teach. Um, this is a way of all these lessons that we're putting together here are ways that we can keep the fires burning um, in our relationship with God and, and serving God. Taking these minor characters that are found throughout the Bible and just exploring, asking like the who, what, when, where, why, how uh, questions as we read their passages to see what is it God is trying to give us? Why did he put this in here? What can we learn from these characters? Well, today we're going to be doing uh, a lesser known character, as most of these are. This is Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus. And we're entitling this one, A Man Behind the Scenes. And now you can find his story in three of the Gospels. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34. It's also, his story is recorded in Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. And he's also mentioned um, in Luke chapter 18, verses 35 through 43. But just Mark is the one gives us, that gives us his name. Uh, Matthew and Luke do not include the name. And we'll talk about that. There's a question right there. Why? Why is it like that? So uh, sit back, relax. If you're sitting and enjoying the podcast or if you're driving in your car or if you're at work or whatever, um, this is a fascinating lesson. This is one of my, my favorite Bible characters. And even though he's um, he's not mentioned very much, and we have very little information on him. Oh my gosh, what he can teach us is so, so important. So let's begin with this, this wonderful lesson on this lesser-known character, Bartimaeus. To begin with, I want to tell you a story, though. Uh, those around her know my wife, Denise, as the Queen of Treats. Now, she got that title many years ago by making treats for youth group at church back in the 1990s, where I uh, worked as the youth director and I taught senior high. 
But she didn't stop there. She also made treats for the Bible club that I sponsored at the public school where I taught. And she made treats for other occasions. If there were staff meetings, she would make treats for them. Um, Years after teaching school, I uh, went to work at a camp in northern Wisconsin, and I taught, and I I still teach. Matter of fact, I just yesterday finished teaching or uh, finished up with that program um, and teaching the college students at this camp. And she makes treats. Every single class I teach, she makes treats. When I used to do Bible sessions, she makes treats. Sometimes when I go as uh, a guest speaker at a church, she has made treats. Um, she continues to make treats for just about anything she can find a reason to make them. Uh, Bible study groups, um, even for her own, when she goes and does a Bible study, she makes treats for it. Um, staff meetings that I've attended, and we have, she'll make treats. Uh, literally, she will use just about any excuse, I shouldn't say that, any event uh, she can <laughs> to, to uh, confine to make treats. That's what she does. And now, what I mean by treats? Now, those of you who have been blessed to be around my wife or been in some of my teachings, because obviously she can't do these on a podcast. I mean, now that would be sort of cool. I don't know how this would happen. Maybe in the future we can send them through uh, a fiber optics or something. But what I mean by treats is, well, I'm not just talking like sugar cookies. Oh, no, no, no. No, though she makes those. Uh, she makes the most delicious chocolate chip cookies and many varieties of chocolate chip cookies and also many varieties of other cookies. She makes chocolate chocolate eclair cake, brownies, all different types of brownies with many variations in them, sometimes with peanut butter cups in the middle. Um, She makes one of my favorites called Brickle Bar. Oh my gosh, that is so good. I'll crawl through my knees 30 miles in a blizzard to to get a bite of a Brickle Bar that she makes. also, another great one is chocolate mayonnaise cake. Mmm. No, it sounds disgusting, but it's so moist, so chocolatey. It's delicious. Uh, another f- one that she's famous for is making chocolate, uh, frosted chocolate chewies, she calls them. She makes cheesecakes, different types of cheesecakes, ice cream cakes, um, and a couple of desserts, uh, a dozen of other desserts uh, n- that are exquisite and scrumptious and just delectably delicious. I mean, she just makes all sorts of things like this. That's what I mean by treats. Um, My wife is what you would say is at home in the kitchen. I mean, (laughs) home on the range. Yeah, she is home on the oven. Um, But she is a behind the scenes type of a gal. She doesn't like to be in the spotlight. She is so easily embarrassed by me when I praise her in front of others when she's there. Um, But she does have a ministry that she devotes her time to, and she is very, very serious about it. She feels that it is her calling by God to be the treat maker for events. Now, she will never be famous or well-known to most people by her ministry, but she does make an impact on people. No question about that. In fact, though people... um, know that she makes the treats for these events, some people don't even know what she looks like, has no idea what my wife looks like. She likes to stay in the background. They often uh, are thankful for her ministry, but they don't know what she looks like even. I hear praise, uh, the praise often um, that she gets for this, but she doesn't hear it because if she's not there, she doesn't hear it, which she doesn't hear the praise. So when I was at the school with these treats and, and stuff, and she never got to hear these things. 
Now, some people just cannot handle that type of a ministry. They just can't do it. They need to hear the applause uh, for their accomplishments. Not my wife. No. An empty tray or food container that I bring home is her reward, and she is very content to know that her work then was appreciated, though seldom does anyone ever see her actually working even in her ministry because she does it from our kitchen at home. My wife has actually wore out stoves when <laughs> and ovens at our house because she does this so often. Yeah, most people have never seen her in her ministry doing her work. Well, let's examine the life of a man few people can even recall from Scripture. His name is Bartimaeus, and this is his story uh, given to us. And there's something here that we can learn about serving God. Well, we're going to read from Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. And I'm picking the Mark account because it is in Mark that we get his name. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and it picks up. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind men, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now this familiar passage, like I say, is found in the other three synoptic gospels. But only Mark gives us his name, Bartimaeus. Now, to begin, let's examine where and what is happening at this time in Jesus' life. As I have said many times, if you've followed through with many of the Bible studies that I do, when you read passages, look for the who, what, when, where, why, and how, and ask questions about these. So let's let's see, where is this happening? What is happening uh, in Jesus' life at this time? He's on his final journey to Jerusalem from Perea, which is up in Galilee. And on the west side of the Jordan River is where this is taking place. Now, there's Jericho. Jericho lies on this road uh, and is the turning point to go to Jerusalem. Now, Jericho, there's uh, a lot of people don't quite catch this. If you travel to Israel, um, like if you go with us on a tour or something, sometimes we have stopped um, in this area. We go to Jericho and stuff. And you see there's actually two Jerichos um, in the Bible. There's the Old Testament Jericho, where Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, that type of thing. That's one place of Jericho. But Jericho was also rebuilt a little bit away, about a quarter of a mile or so away. They built a new Jericho back in the time of Herod. And Herod built an elaborate palace and stuff. And so 
it would be this New Testament Jericho. So it's in the same location. It's just there's two different Jerichos. So if you if you go on a tour or something like this to Israel and they're taking you to Jericho, you could be going to either both or one or the other. But that's just a little tidbit. This is the New Testament Jericho that Herod had built up and stuff. Now, so this Jericho Road is there, and you go through this on your way then from the Jordan River. You're going through the and right right through the New Testament Jericho to go to Jerusalem. And it's while passing through this New Testament Jericho that Jesus encounters our character. Now, Bartimaeus, as we see in Scripture, and looking at the Synoptic Gospels, the, the parallel Gospels on this, was one of two blind men sitting on the road going from Jericho to Jerusalem. We're not informed of the identity of the other man. No, we just have no knowledge of that. It's not written down anywhere. But we are given Bartimaeus's name uh, as one of these two individuals. Now, we don't know if Bartimaeus was actually blind from birth or if he lost his sight later in life. It is interesting because he says, to recover my sight. So I have a tendency to think that he wasn't born blind, but went blind uh, later on. But any any case, um, he he has had time to meet up with this other blind man that he's he's there in Jericho with. And the two of them have actually staked themselves out, if you will, in a very excellent spot on the main road, um, by some place on the main road. So people going, and it's a very popular road to go from Jericho to Jerusalem in those days. And so many people would pass by. So he's got a good place to beg. Now, a couple of things I want you to, to show you here. First, as stated, he is, um, Bartimaeus, well, we get a few details about his life we want to start with here. A few little details. Um, and I'll tell you, if it wasn't for Mark's gospel, we wouldn't even know the guy's name. But Mark, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, um, gives us his name. Um, as recorded, he is the son, that's what Bar means, Bar Timaeus, so he's the son of Timaeus. Um, and, but what is given, if we dig into this passage a little bit more on this blind man, we start to see some things. Again, ask these questions, who, what, when, where, why, and how. And one of the first things we're going to see, obviously, is he's blind. All right. During the first century now, this is where it gets interesting. During the first century, people who were blind were often related to, or, or, relegated to be beggars. That's what they would do. They would commonly sit on popular roads and junctions near city gates. And what they did there, it just wasn't begging. We today in our culture today just think, oh, it's a beggar. No, it's, it meant something else in the first century um, during biblical times. Um, to beg meant to beg for alms. Yeah, that's charitable gifts. That's what they are. Almsgiving is not mentioned in the Old Testament as something that was required. Um, but Jews were to help others in avoiding poverty. And you can read about this. It's in the Torah, um, in Leviticus chapter 25, verses 35 through 38. Also, in our last lesson we just did, having to do with Boaz, we, we covered this, that God set up a system for people who were poor. Um, but almsgiving is a little different, and it became something even more during the intertestamental time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Almsgiving became a command to show loving kindness personal merit, and security. Now, it's mentioned not in our Holy Scriptures, but in some of the other ancient Jewish writings. Uh, the Sirach 
in chapter 330, it says that almsgiving is recorded as atoning for sin. Did you get that? Giving alms to someone, you the giver, are able to atone for your sins. Now, this is not biblical, but this is what the Jews were being taught in synagogues and stuff. This is one of their, their, um, their man-made laws. Also, in the book Tobit, chapter 410, it's written that almsgiving delivers from death. The person who is giving the alms can be delivered from death, so like damnation. Uh, also in Tobit, chapter 12, uh, 8 and 9, it's written that um, almsgiving, along with prayer and fasting, is showing the highest expressions of Jewish piety. So that was the culture of the day. Now, do you understand a little bit here what's going on? Bartimaeus is a blind man, and he is—everybody, all the Jews are being taught that by giving alms to somebody in a charitable way actually gets you like little gold stars to get you up into heaven uh, that actually acts for salvation because it will atone for your sin by doing this. Yes, that's what this this was being taught. According to these man-made laws, and like I say, these are man-made laws— Bartimaeus, in his take on this, being blind, could be viewing it as God has made me blind to help with the salvation of others. They, they would sometimes think this, we know from ancient writings and stuff, that, and just logic puts this together too, is helping people obtain forgiveness of their sins by thinking that God had made him blind and required him to beg the, the Jews for alms. Now, God never said this. But this is one of those things that was being taught during um, the intertestamental time. So at the time of Jesus in the first century, this was, this was what they were believing. This is what they were being taught by their, their spiritual leaders. Um, it's a man-made tradition. It's not something from God. And as we know, as you read through the gospel, Jesus was constantly badgering these uh, Pharisees and religious rulers um, for some of their man-made laws that they come up with because they're not found in, in God's word. God never said them. So that's one thing right there that makes the story really stand out a little differently. Now we look at Bartimaeus in a different way. Second, uh, since he was blind, he's not capable of traveling. I mean, he can't go around traveling on his own. Thus, I'm really curious, how did Bartimaeus learn all this about Jesus? Scholars are not sure that Jesus ever visited Jericho outside of this time and in his ministry, if that's the case. How did Bartimaeus even know about Jesus? How did he know that Jesus was as he called him himself? He says, son of David. And calling someone the son of David was not just a reference to his genealogy. That's a messianic title foretold in Psalm chapter 89, verses 3 and 4. Psalm 132, verses 11 and 12. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. Isaiah chapter 16, verse 5. Jeremiah chapter 23, 5 and 6. Jeremiah 30, uh, verse 9. Ezra 37, 24 through 28, Hosea 3, 5, Zechariah 12, 10. 
This is just not a reference to genealogy. We're talking about the Messiah. So when Bartimaeus is calling out son of David, he's not just saying, hey, somebody who your ancestors were, um, were David a long time ago. No, he is recognizing him as the Messiah. Now, since Bartimaeus is unable to travel with Jesus and sit as a disciple at his feet and stuff as he's traveling all around, prior to this Jericho experience, how did he get the information? He must have listened carefully to what others had said about Jesus. No doubt, Jesus was the hot topic of the day, but Bartimaeus seems to have more knowledge on him than most of the others did. He knows that Jesus was a direct descendant of King David. He knows the genealogy. Now remember, this is a a blind beggar sitting on the side of the road. I find this one point absolutely amazing. Bartimaeus, you realize, has never seen Jesus, but he has faith in him, not just as a healer, but as the Messiah. He uses a messianic title, Son of God. That's who he is is referring to. He's the Son of God, and he catches this. This goes to show that Bartimaeus was not from Missouri, uh, the show-me state. He, he believed without ever seeing him, Jesus himself. He never saw a miracle, um, never saw what Jesus had done with others, but he still believed. I mean, let's just call it out what it is. This is tremendous faith. Tremendous faith. A faith that does not depend upon tangibles, but true faith in a, and a very, very strong belief. But where did it come from? There's a where question. Where did it come from? How did Bartimaeus obtain this faith in the first century town of Jericho, where Jesus hadn't even been visiting? So the answer is obvious. Somebody had to tell him. I mean, there's just no other way around it. Somebody had to tell him. Some unknown person or persons had spread the word about Jesus. Bartimaeus had heard it, had listened, and he believed. I've often wondered who was the person responsible for Bartimaeus to have heard and received faith enough to not only believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but also that Jesus would indeed heal him. What tremendous faith. It reminds me of another story. There was a boy who was born into a poor family in Massachusetts. He was one of nine children born into this family, and when he was just four years old, his father died, leaving the family in a bitter financial situation. With little schooling, he left his family at the age of 17 to work in his uncle's shoe shop in Boston. There, in that shoe shop, he met Jesus as his Lord and Savior, by the work of a very humble man named Edward Kimball. That event changed this young man's life and the lives of millions of others all over the world. For that young boy was none other than Dwight L. Moody. Now, I'm sure you probably have heard of D.L. Moody the famous evangelist of the 1800s. But how many of you recognize the name Edward Kimball when I said it? Do you understand and realize that without Edward Kimball, there might not have been a Dwight L. Moody? There might not have been a Moody Bible Institute? And how many people have did Moody himself, God used to lead to the Lord, and today even 
at this time and the year 2022, people are still finding Jesus as a result of Edward Kimball's taking in and sharing the gospel with Dwight L. Moody. Actually, I think that Bartimaeus must have had an Edward Kimball in his life. Well, the third thing that we can catch from this, this little passage here, it reads, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now, what's that mean? Bartimaeus became a follower of Jesus, his Messiah. I mean, he believed, he had faith to believe, and he was healed, and he, he starts to follow. It says he recovered his sight, and he followed him. He's following him. So what happened to him at that moment in time is forever lost, though, in the pages of history. Whatever happened since that statement right there, we don't know. There's no, uh, that, that I've been able to find any ancient documents recorded uh, talking about Bartimaeus after this in our early New Testament histories and stuff. Uh, some believe that his silence, uh, the silence of him in, in history and in Scripture and stuff, was because he turned away from God during the Passion Week, uh, and thus his story does not have a good ending as his faith dwindled. I don't buy that, though there are many Bible scholars that teach that. I'm sorry, I just can't accept that. I believe that Bartimaeus might have been a background minister to God. Now, why would I say such a thing? Well, I'll cite you uh, these reasons for this hypothesis of mine. First, he's mentioned by name. That's a big point. He's mentioned by name, and so is his father in Mark's Gospel. This makes it possible for the readers of the text to go back and check the story. They could go back to Jericho, find this guy, and see and hear firsthand, or from his dad. So it was a way to test, to see if it was indeed true. The Gospel of Mark is thought to have been written around 40 to 61 AD, somewhere in that range. It was one of the first Gospels, we believe, written and circulated in the Roman Empire, and thus one of the, uh, a char- um, many of the characters that Mark mentions are still living after it was published, after they were copying it and spreading it around. So I believe that Mark might have written the names of these people, again, guided by the Holy Spirit, of course, um, to uh, writing about the witnesses, the names of these, uh, of this miracle, to make sure that people could check out the story and see that Mark is actually recording the truth. Now, that's one, because he writes the name of the person. Second, reason for my hypothesis is just because Bartimaeus is not mentioned during or after the Passion Week uh, is not an indication that he turned away from Jesus. Maybe he had a family of his own, and after he was miraculously healed, maybe he went back home to his wife, his kids, maybe his brother, his sisters, his friends, to show them what Jesus had done for him. I would have done that. I think most people would have done that. I mean, we don't know, we're not told, but it certainly seems logical that if you have a major change after being blind for uh, maybe your entire life or the majority of your life, and all of a sudden God heals you, and you believe in in God, and and this Messiah comes and heals you, I think you're going to want to tell people that. It's going to make you very happy, and you're going to want to spread the joy and spread the good news of what this Messiah did. After all, when Jesus healed him, he commanded him what to do in verse 52, go your way is what he says. Go your way. So he might not have traveled further, you know, much further, might not have gone to Jerusalem, might have gone on his own, back to his family and stuff. But there's a third reason, too, I can cite for this hypothesis. Recall that many people were following Jesus 
and their identities have been lost in time. Jesus had many men, women, and children accompanying him as he traveled. And we know that, uh, that Jesus, when he returned to heaven uh, from the Mount of Olives, he had quite a large following. There was 120 people meeting for a prayer meeting in Acts chapter 1, verse 15. There's a lot of people that are not mentioned by name. Is it possible that Bartimaeus could have been present there in Jerusalem when Matthias was chosen? Yeah, it's possible. Could it be he was present at Pentecost? Most likely he was. We don't know because he's not mentioned, but logic dictates that he probably was, being he's a follower of Jesus and also that he was um, a Jew, so he would be required to go. Scripture's silent on his life. Just because Scripture is silent doesn't mean Jesus uh, that he deserted Jesus and deserted his faith, as some people will say. I just, no. He could have been very easily a background Christian worker for the Lord and for the Lord who changed his life dramatically. Think about it. Isn't it possible and logical that Bartimaeus would not turn away from Jesus after the spectacular way Jesus proved himself as God to him? We know that then and even today, there are many Christians that use that God uses in ministries uh, that work in the background. That You never hear their names. Not all of God's faithful workers and servants are on the stage in the spotlight. It's just, it's not like that. My dad used to tell me, he was a, a veteran of World War II, and used to tell me about um, when I was thinking of entering the service myself and enlisting. And I um, remember having a conversation. He says, you know, not everybody goes to the front line when you go into the service. He says, for every one person on the front line, there's at least four or five back behind the lines, supplying him, taking care, making things, making the bullets, putting the stuff together, um, supplying these things up, getting him food and water and things so he can fight on the front line. Not everybody's on the front line. A lot of people are behind helping him. And I remember my dad telling me that, and I thought, wow, that's sort of like how ministry is a lot of times. Yep. Um, our faith math lesson here is based, I think, on that idea. Bartimaeus was probably one of those Christians that God radically changed and who was quite happy serving God off stage. Yes, there are people that are like that. Too often, we seem to think that to be in God's service requires us to be standing center stage with a vast crowd all around watching us in the spotlight on us. We think that to be in his service requires us to make a name for ourselves and to be the major leader of a group. Let me tell you, folks, that's wrong theology. That is not correct. The Holy Spirit does not give the gift of leadership to every single person. No. Um, God needs followers and people willing to be off stage more than he needs to have the leaders in the spotlight on the stage. For if everyone was on the spotlight, who'd be doing all the various detail work behind? It wouldn't take place. For instance, here in Evidence for Faith, when we began this ministry, um, the few of us who were involved in this and and others, we, as we were sitting down and formulating the hierarchy of how the organization was going to work, we had to come up with a executive director. Well, um, as we were sitting and talking about what the executive director would be and, and who it would be, um, 
the guy who serves as the president of our board said, well, Michael, you should be the executive director. And I was like, why me? Well, you're the spotlight person. Well, even though I'm the spotlight, what, how, how about this person be the executive director? Or how about, how about let's make Denise the executive director? I have never been one that loves to be, I, some people have a wrong impression of me. They think that I'm always loving to be in the spotlight and that I always want everybody you know, to focus on me. And those who know me really well know that is not me. Um, as a matter of fact, just uh, last night I was at a, um, like a graduation ceremony um, for students that I've been teaching, college students I've been teaching. And at the ceremony, after this dinner, they had a big uh, planned uh, talk. I, I didn't ask, hey, can I be one of the speakers to, to get up and talk about the kids and stuff? No, I didn't want to do that. Um, and they even had a place where it was open mic, where people could come up, uh, other teachers or friends of the family or even family. Anybody could get up and, and talk and praise the students and all this. Well, on my last day of class that I had with the kids, I told them what I wanted to tell them. And I just, with just them in front of me, I said to many of them, this is, you know, I really appreciate you. And even a few after um, I went specifically up to and I talked to them individually, how much I appreciated them and and having them uh, in my class and um, hope that they would continue to serve God. And so I asked a lot of things and told them things like that. So when it came to the banquet last night, I didn't feel like I was required to get up to the microphone. Um, to repeat basically what I had said to the kids, they'd already got it. And just to make, to let the parents hear and the friends and stuff hear all this, I, I, that's not me. I, no, I've already said my piece. At these banquets that we do, I've only once ever got up and actually did a speech because, and that's when I was actually commanded to do it. I was ordered um, or told, Michael, you are going to be, since you are their teacher, we need you up there. And I, I'm very uncomfortable doing that uh, because I I don't need to be in the spotlight. Not every Christian leader is supposed to be a leader. When I taught school, um, and even these college classes, I've actually helped people uh, write applications for scholarships, uh, particularly high school students, to get into colleges. And sometimes, you know, I get a form that's given to me, and Almost always on these forms, it says, to describe this student, what type of leader is this person? When I first started doing these, when I first became a teacher, I would sometimes just jot down what I think they would want to hear, to be honest. I did that. Oh, this is a good leader, you know, be a good leader, et cetera, et cetera. But it bothered me in doing that because sometimes these people that were giving me <laughs> these these um, forms to fill out for college, they are not really good leaders. They're excellent followers. So on what I started doing is being totally honest and writing in some cases. Now, some I would say, yes, this is an excellent leader, has fantastic potential. People are just drawn to him. Others, I will write, is not a good leader, but is a fantastic follower. This is a great follower you should have at your university. Others will be in the spotlight. This person will help them to be there and will help serve. And I would write stuff like this. Not everybody is supposed to be in the spotlight. Yeah. I think that Bartimaeus was like that. I think he was probably one of those Christians that God radically changed, who was quite happy to be serving God off stage. That's what I believe. So um, not everyone is supposed to be on the spotlight.
Let me give you another, another example of this. Have you ever watched a modern motion picture at a movie theater and then stuck around and watched all the credits with all the names? I have a tendency of doing that sometimes. Uh, I remember when the movie Prince Caspian came out in a theater. This is many years ago. My family, we all went and we watched it together as a family. This movie, like many others, had a handful of major characters in it. And after it was over, I sat and I watched the credits while the theater's filling, uh, um, not, um, not filling, uh, people are leaving the theater. Um, it's fanning out and stuff. I'm sitting still in my seat and just sitting and watching and reading the names of credits and uh, of the credits and the people who are involved. And I remember with that one, I just didn't um, read them. I was trying my best to count them. And I mean, I saw names of thousands of people who worked to make that movie a success. It wasn't just the five main characters. Listed were people who were responsible for makeup, for animation, for special effects, grips, wranglers, caterers, and many, many, many more. It took a lot of people just to make that one film a success. It's true of any major motion picture. I challenge you to do that sometime. Just sit and see a movie. For instance, classic example, classic example on this. Tom Hanks' movie, Castaway. Castaway. You basically have one character. There's a few people very uh, right at the beginning, a few people at the end, but the bulk of the movie is just Tom Hanks and a coconut. I mean, or a volleyball, I think it was. Just Tom Hanks. And so he's sitting there. The thing is, when the movie's over and they start writing the credits, there's over a thousand people that were responsible for making that movie a success. So why do we think that if you're a Christian, in God's service, you have to be on the spotlight, you have to be the leader, um, out visible all the time, and um, extremely visible in everything that you do? No. In his book, Beneath the Surface, author Bob Record writes about service for God, and he puts it like this, quote, it simply refers to the opportunity for God to use your life and mind in a special way to accomplish eternal things that will make an eternal difference in our lives and others, unquote. I think that's pretty well said. Not everybody's supposed to be the leader. In other words, what kind of servant of Jesus are you? Are you called to be a stagehand for him? If so, that's great. Are you called to be out in the open, loud, invisible? forum. Hey, that's great. One is not more important than the other. As God tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're all parts of the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit puts special gifts into each Christian. For what? For his service. Our job is to utilize them for his service to make eternal differences in people and in us. So if you're called to be a behind-the-scenes person, that's fantastic. That's great. And go for it with all your gusto. Really work hard at it. Louis Pasteur was not only one of the most brilliant scientists who ever lived. He was also a man of compassion and what many people fail to realize, because it's not taught in public schools too often, he was a man of God, truly. He believed strongly in the Bible, and he believed strongly in God, and God blessed him tremendously. 
giving him insight in the field of immunology and microbiology that was far beyond his peers. In fact, Pasteur was often ridiculed and made fun of by his peers, not just for his faith, but also for his ideas of how diseases are spread. Well, one project Louis Pasteur worked on with diligence was a vaccine for rabies. You see, back in the 1800s, rabies killed thousands of people each year. Just as he developed the vaccine and was about to test it on himself, a nine-year-old boy was brought to him who had just been bitten by a rabid dog. His name was Joseph Meister. He was the boy, and his mother brought him to Pasteur and begged Pasteur to help her son because everyone knew he was going to die a horrible death with rabies. Pasteur consented. He injected Joseph for 10 days, and the boy lived. Well, decades later, when Louis Pasteur was nearing his death, he was asked what he wanted etched on his tombstone. Of all his discoveries, of all the services, of all the allocates, of all the awards this man had won, all the, the contributions he had made for mankind. He asked that just three words be etched on his tombstone. This is what he asked for. Put this on my tombstone. Joseph Meister lived. Hmm. The greatest legacy we can have as Christians is the people who live eternally with God because of our efforts and what he does in our lives. Nobody remembers Joseph Meister, but to Louis Pasteur, he thought it was his greatest accomplishment. Wow. Being a behind-the-scenes person is so important. If God's called you to that, fantastic. If he's called you to be on the stage, fantastic. Just whatever he's called you to do, do it with all your heart. Lord, we thank you for this passage that we've had and um, the story today with Bartimaeus. We don't know a lot of things about him, but from what we gather and from what Scripture tells us, he must have been a remarkable person. The faith he had, whoever told him about, about Jesus, about the healing power of the Messiah, we don't know, but it made an impact on him. And I thank you for this passage. And Lord, I pray for those who are called to be behind-the-scenes people. They don't often get the awards and the allocates, but Lord, you know who they are, and they're so important. We need those. And I thank you for those behind-the-scenes people and evidence for faith, people who just pray for us, those who can and are able to financially support us so we can do this ministry. We thank you. People who are listening to this broadcast right now have no idea of how many, how many people are behind us making this work, not just here in the studio and, and um, in, in the building, but Lord, also how many people are praying and just supporting us and helping us, giving us good comments that encourage us. I thank you for all these behind-the-scenes people. And Lord, help us to recognize, if we are this way, to always do this for you. We thank you in Jesus' name and for his honor and glory. Amen. I want to thank you for joining me on this lesson as we continue in this series we've just started. And as we get back together um, 
I hope you'll join us again for another lesson. Again, we would love to hear from you. Um, we would love to um, hear any type of comments you have. And also we ask that you pray for us. And if God puts it upon your heart to help us um, financially so that this ministry can expand and we can get more um, messages out to people, uh, we greatly appreciate it. It won't be for ill use. We use everything to serve God. And that's our purpose. So thank you. And until we meet again, take care and God bless. Thanks for tuning in. And thank you to our donors who make this program possible. Evidence for Faith is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry based in the USA. You can support this broadcast by donating online using the links in the description. And don't forget to leave us a comment, a review, likes and shares to feed the algorithm and help others find this content. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.